Yo, I'm Evan Mack with the Mac Mania Podcast with my two fellas. I'm Brooklyn Zone, Flubba Voice. And I'm the Hall of Farmer, Jack Farmer. Follow and listen on Spotify and catch us on the Spotify Green Room after major wrestling events. What's up, everybody? We back another week. Well, uh, I'm back. Ryan's been here. <laughs> <laughs> I think you 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 took a little much needed vacay, huh? Man, I, I've been my whole life's been a vacation right now, so it's been travel's been sick. Yeah, in a good way. In a good way, yeah. But it's just been a lot, though. But mm. you know, home now for a couple of weeks, so we'll see. I hear you, man. See if I, that uh, lasts. I, I I was in L.A. Sunday night called that turd of a game between the Lakers and the Pelicans where, I mean, it was one of the more like glaring. Well, you could call it a turd of a game if the if Pelicans fans are listening to us. Well, 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 that's a great point. But, you know, I mean, either way, I think they, they'd, they'd agree that the game was not great. Their performance was great. And, yeah. and, and kudos to them. They're, they're going to be in the play-in. The Pelicans are definitely moving up. Um, but, uh, but, but man, the listless effort from the Lakers was just palpable. And then I got off a of red eye Monday. I go do the Nets and Raptors in Brooklyn and the Nets get whopped by, you know, 36 points. And I'm just like, <laughs> you're coming off a of red eye after the, one of the worst games you've seen this year to another awful game. Come on. Now, last night in Toronto, then I went with the teams of Toronto, did that game last night. That was a great game. Nets end up losing by one, but it, that at least was a really good game. Let me tell you um, something. People ask me, like, do I miss the big leagues and stuff? And I don't, but I miss going to Toronto. <laughs> 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 Toronto's a great city, guys. It's a great city, especially when you guys would go. I mean, being there in the summer. Oh, oh man. Uh, it's magic is in it, the summer. Is it rough right now going up there? Like, what is it like right now? Yeah. Is it so it, cold? It's too cold, yeah. I mean, especially, though, when you're second half of back-to-back, you basically just don't leave the room, you know? Like, yeah, it, you're just, just worn out. Yeah, exactly. I'm waking up at 11, and I'm doing a workout and prep and going to the arena, you know? Like, and it's like, that's it. But what I did do, see, is yesterday on the bus, I did watch... Rob Manford's press conference. Oof. I did follow everything that was going on with the baseball labor talks. And I, I you know, we're going to have Jeff passing on here in a couple minutes to try and just give us the full scope. We thought today, see, first of all, it should be an opportunity for you and I to air our grievances about this, but also to educate the fans on what exactly is going on. Cause obviously our audience, massive baseball fans, they're hurting right now. And we want to make sure they're as educated as possible. And, and have all the details, and Jeff's going to help us with that. But see, I mean, I guess, you know, just your initial reaction, man, to the first uh, week of the regular season being canceled. It's just fucking frustrating, man. It's so frustrating to watch, you know, um, the league go through this. And and I honestly do think it's because there is no relationship with the with the league office and the players. You know what I'm saying? Like, like what other league do you see – where guys are on Instagram calling the commissioner a clown and putting clown, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's just the disconnect between the league office and the players. And I, I mean, you know, and, and for me, I think that we got to this point because we got our asses kicked in the last CBA. Now whose fault that is. I mean, that's up for, for debate, but I think that, you know, you know, us as players or I'm a player, you know, or was a player, we're out for a pound of flesh and they wanted to get a win. 
You know what I'm saying? Whatever that meant, whatever that means. Um, but, you know, hearing, you know, Scherzer talk and some of these other guys talk because we haven't heard these guys say anything, whether it's Andrew Miller or, or Max Scherzer or, you know, that executive committee is so small, man. Like it's a, I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a weird representation of the game. Like mm-hmm. there is, I mean, let me hear Frankie Lindor talk. I seen him at the, at the meetings, you know what I'm saying? Like, there, it's just it's just not a lot of representation. It's just a lot of the guys that are at the high end of you know making a lot of money are are doing the talking, which is great and and which is you know is good. But I want to hear from from the rest of the players and and how they feel. And and I think this all stems back from the CBA in 2016, where we basically got our asses kicked, and that's why we're in the position we are now. Well, so and that in itself is a fundamental problem, right? See, like one of the things I always take from. CBA negotiations. And and I have a unique perspective, I think, because my father was one of the lead negotiators for the NFL for 34 years, you know? Yeah. So I, I grew up around CBA negotiations. I saw him multiple times be, you know, up till three in the morning, you know, day after day after day as they were trying to close in on negotiations, saw them ushered to private places to try and finish things off. And, um, and one thing he would always say to me is he would always say, like, you can't think about it in terms of winning or losing yes. because because you have to work you have to work with these people and the last thing you want is acrimony to build up over years because people have resentment about the deal they just signed you know and that's, you, what, and that's that, what happened in 16 bro and exactly and so what you have now is you know you have a a dug in union because they feel like they lost plus you have maybe an athletic mindset of winning and losing, right? And you're like, you're just focused on winning. But that's like not the that's not the correct mindset for negotiating a labor deal, not to mention, and that's not me blaming the players. I'm just saying that's the wrong perspective. But then and then you have um, you know, currently a, a league that does not have, you know, a good working relationship with the with the players. So you have like sort of these two acrimonious, you know, groups that don't have, you know, any sort of like, you know, strong form bridges. And you have one group that feels like they need to get a win because they just got a loss. And that yep. that makes for extreme difficulty, see? And and um and so I think that's why nobody's surprised that we're at the point we're at today. And I and I think, you know, us going into this, and cause we hadn't heard any players talk other than Strowman and whoever the fuck else just saying this guy's a clown or that like it's just been dumb shit tweeted. You know what I'm yeah, saying? So yeah. actually hearing what the players were saying yesterday, they're a long way apart because, like, they're far fucking, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're not even close to me. Yeah. Where, you know, the pool for the young players, the owners, you know, put $35 million, The players want it to be $85 million. Like, they're, they're a long way away on some of these, some of these, these, these key points um, that are going to try, that are going to get the CBA signed. So to be honest, like, after hearing yesterday, Going into yesterday because we hadn't heard any news from the players or what they wanted. Yeah. Um, I thought we're, I was optimistic that they'd get a deal done. Just you know, coming up to opening day and all of that shit. But now after listening to Scherzer and 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 Andrew Miller and those guys talk, this is going to be a while, bro. I don't think they're going to play baseball until May. You know, and and it's a it's a you know it's a total shame. It's self inflicted. They will lose some fans in the interim. I. I could have been understanding, see, if the reason you were missing games is because you felt like there were fundamental flaws with your sport 
and it needed a total reset, and that was going to take a while, right? Like, if if you look at baseball and you were saying, you know what, our median age for our fan is 57 years old, right? Like, our we are we are absolutely getting crushed in the younger demos. Like, the health and longevity of our sport is in serious peril. We need to find a way to up the entertainment value of the sport overall so that the pie is growing for everybody. Because as of right now, if we just make tweaks to the current system, the sport's going to eventually die. And if that was the case, if that was the perspective and that's why you were having some sort of, you know, missed games, as much as it would be a hard pill to swallow, I would kind of understand because those are Mm -hmm. massive, those are massive undertakings, right? Mm -hmm. But to, to miss games over like things that, yeah, they're, they're big differences in dollar amounts, but they're, they're, we're not talking about making massive fundamental changes to the sport itself and its entertainment value. And to me, it's like, you're missing the boat of opportunity to actually change the sport for the better moving forward. And in the interim, what you're doing is you're alienating fans by haggling over, yeah, things where you have big dollar differences, but things that really shouldn't even be the key issues for your sport if you're going to grow properly moving forward. Man, you hit that right, you hit that nail right on the head. Like, this is a huge, this is a time to make some changes fundamentally to the game. But the thing is, is that most players are most like baseball purists, I'm throwing up the air quotes, don't want the game changed. Like, some of these guys still want a DH in the National League and all this different shit. Like, no pitch clock. Like, bro, have you been watching the fucking games that we watching? Like, everybody complains about the lack of action in the sport and the lack of, you know, how long the games are and all of this shit. And then when you propose different rules, then everybody's like, oh, we can't change baseball. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. Like, the NBA changes all the time. The mm-hmm. NFL changes all the fucking time. Let it fucking go. Like, the sport needs to get better. It needs to grow. And we need to make some big-time changes. And this, and you're right. This was the time to do it. But now we're fighting over stupid shit that we lost in the, in the CBA in 2016. It's fucking dumb. Yeah, it, 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 exactly. See, and that's what it comes down to. That that That's what it comes down to. I mean... Bro, I retired if, at the right time, cuz. Yeah. You, you, you did. You did. I would be, I think I would be, I think I would be, I don't know. I think I would be going at players, cuz, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I I mean, I don't, I just, yeah. I don't know. I don't I, know. I, see, I totally get it, man. I totally get it. And look, there are some, you know, there are some fundamental issues just even within the ownership uh, structure, right? When it comes to Major League Baseball, because you have sort of divergent priorities. You know, it's not like the NFL where, you know, the national TV revenue is uh, such, it's so heavily divvied up and it's such a massive uh, portion of their revenue that every team is, you know, coming out with, um, you know, they're they're coming out in the black. You know, baseball, not to say every team isn't coming out in the black, but just saying in baseball, these teams have such different priorities. Like, you know, you could have, eight owners who literally want completely different things than what the Yankees, Dodgers, Red Sox, you know, all all want and, and, you know, Mets now. And so, I mean, that makes it a different challenge as well, because you think, you know, you think those teams want a 
a luxury tax at 200 million or 220 million? Like, come on, you don't want to be fueling the competition or just, you know, lining their pockets if they're not going to spend the money, right? Mm -hmm. Like every time you want to compete. But then those other teams are literally in a position where, you know, they don't have the resources to be able to compete if there isn't some sort of cap. And so it's really interesting because there's this juxtaposition of like, you need some sort of salary floor so you don't have the, you know, gross, you know, absolute non-competitive nature that we've seen from franchises in recent years. But you also need to be aware of the grand disparities uh, when it comes to the different franchises. And, and that sort of, you know, comes through the, the function of your luxury tax system. And, and I think, see, that's my other thing is like, you know, in addition to just making the product more entertaining overall, which would then in theory grow the bigger pie, including the national TV money and help everybody. Like you also just needed to understand that like you have a fundamental competitive balance problem. And like, I, I feel like, I feel like the undertaking wasn't big enough with all the time that baseball wasted in the off season, not negotiating. Now you're going to miss games over, you know, haggling over a rookie pool number and like a minimum salary number and like stupid. It's stupid. I mean, it's stupid. But, That's what it is. No, jo jo uh, Joe Sherman had a great point about um, the the luxury taxes. Raise it to two sixty, two seventy, whatever it is. But if you go over that, then it's dollar for dollar. Then it's then then you then your your luxury taxes. What you spend, you have to you have to then kick back to the league. I mean, I think that'd be better if you if you raise it, you know what I'm saying? And then you see some of these teams would be going for it. Like in the years where, you know, at at the all-star break, you know, you can go ahead and and you know, up your up your team and try to try to go for it that year if you feel like you got a chance to win and you're just paying the luxury tax. It is what it is, but it'll be it'll get more teams competitive, you know? Yeah. Hearing, hearing that that the Padres had a higher salary team salary than the Yankees is insane. Right, exactly. That and should never happen. And it's a result of you know wanting to avoid, understandably so, the luxury, the luxury tax, tax over and over and over again. Yeah, especially when you think about repeat offenders and whatnot. Um, you know, see one other thing I was just thinking, like if you look back, 1960 World Series Game Seven, the Bill Mazeroski walk off home run. You know, it's one of the most iconic. It's a 10-9 game. Okay. It's one of the most iconic games in baseball history. 10-9. It took two hours and 36 minutes for a 10-9 World Series game. That game today would be four and a half hours. Four and a half. Five fucking hours, because <laughs> World Series games come on at 8 o'clock, and they're over at 1 in the morning, guys. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous how long the fucking games take. It's unbelievable. And so I, I say that to say... Like that is a problem in today's climate where you have so many options of entertainment and you have shrinking attention spans, you do not have, you do not have the ability to capture an audience for that length of time anymore. And so if you want the sport to grow overall, it has to increase an in entertainment value that is going to line the pockets of everybody involved. And that should have been the priority for both sides, yeah. but it does not appear it is. Um, we're going to get more perspective right now. See uh, from Jeff Passan, outstanding MLB insider for ESPN, going to join us right now on R two C two. Jeff, we you know, C and I have been giving our thoughts about you know what's gone on with the labor agreement thus far, and just you know one of the general things that C and I were both kind of talking about is you know baseball clearly is at 
uh, a point in time where they need to revamp the entertainment value of the sport. Even if you love it and C loves it and I love it, clearly the numbers say the youth does not love it, right? And you are going to, that overall pie in this entertainment climate, it's going to diminish if you don't have fundamental changes to the game to increase the entertainment value. And, you know, my kind of perspective was like, I can understand as tough as it would be to deal with, like if you were undergoing drastic fundamental changes to the game and, you know, trying to address competitive balance at the same time while trying to just make the sport more entertaining, if it was going to take longer and you were going to have some games missed. But when I hear that you're missing games over, you know, dollar differences on, you know, rookie pools and minimum salaries, and I know it's a big disparity, but even stuff like the competitive balance tax, I'm just like, to me, it just shows me that the boat has been missed. If that if that is what's causing you to miss games, when clearly there's something else lurking that's going to eat up your sport. Am I am I off on this perspective? What do you think? I'm going to come at it from a different angle, Ryan. Dollar values are, in the end, what this is going to be about, but it's also what those dollars represent. The dollars represent the divide between ownership and the player. The dollar values represent the power vacuum between the owners and the players. And I think the players almost feel like they're the ones who own the game and it's been taken from them and their pride has been taken from them and their value has been taken from them and everything that they have worked their whole career for, they feel like there's a class above them that doesn't respect them enough, that doesn't treat them the right way, that sees what they grind for every day as a piece of metal, that is bringing in more money, but giving them less. It's more about, it's an emotional thing. And when you're in a business deal and you bring emotion into it, it's where you can go sideways, but it's also where you can go up and where you can finally feel emboldened and feel like this is who I am. This is who I'm meant to be. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to fight for the player because the players in the end are the game. And if the players are not satisfied where the game is at, then the game is not in the right place. Now, I'm not saying that players always have the right idea of where the game needs to go, but they're the ones who are out there every single day giving us that beautiful thing that is baseball. And if they feel disrespected, not just one time, not just two times, but over the course of the last decade, the changes that have happened in baseball have been anti-player. And there's going to reach a point where they say, either we fight for what we believe is ours so that the next generation doesn't have to go through this, or we're going to lose the game altogether. But but as a player that was a, a part of those last two CBAs and that felt like we got we got our ass kicked, especially in the last one, uh, it's our fault that we signed off on that shit, right? Like, and, and not even try to be funny, like, the last time the CBA went through or, you know, they said that all the players voted on all this different stuff and it wasn't all of us. Like, we weren't involved. It was just the executive committee. Like, nobody else really had any information. It was like, all right, this is how the league is going to run. It's the yep. no mill money. It's all of this different shit that that executive committee voted on. So it's not even like the, I mean, who knows what the rest of the players feel like? Like we just hear from the top five, 10% of the five, top five 
10 guys, whatever it is. It isn't that trying to get your agency back as a baseball player though. Isn't that trying to exert your free will to say, even if we screwed up in the past, we learned our lessons, we figured it out. And now we want to take control where we've lost it. Like, I think that's what this basic agreement is ultimately about. That's what honestly, this, this lockout is about. And that's what missing games is about. Um, it, it's management's decision to continue pushing the players and pushing them as far as they can. And it's the players finally saying, we don't want to be pushed anymore. And it's, it's an, like, it's an incredible story to me because it's, it's, I don't know. I see it as a fight for the soul of the game. Maybe I'm over dramatizing it. I don't know. And I appreciate your honesty about this because you know, players don't like admitting how bad that it was, but they also say, if it continues to be like that, the game's going to get away from us to the point where we're not going to have ownership of it anymore. Yeah. But those, those, those are the guys that voted for, for the last two CBAs, you know what I'm saying? And I was a player in the league that had no say. So I don't like, I honestly don't know what's going on right now. I, I, I think that, you know, one of the things, Jeff, that I think is unfortunate is, you know, it is being framed, and this is something C talked about uh, just off the top of our pod, like, but in winning and losing terms. And, uh-huh. like, to me, that is, I mean, that's just the wrong way to approach uh, a CBA. You And, you know, you have to work, you have to work together. And the relationship right now is so acrimonious. Um, uh-huh. And, and you know, the players are coming for their pound of flesh after getting wiped. And that's part of the reason, by the way, why you don't want that even from an owner's perspective, because then when the next negotiation's up, it makes it that much more difficult because this other group feels like they've been wiped for, you know, five, six years, whatever the agreement is. But I guess I bring up that perspective to say to you, is there a bridge? Like, is there any sort of, like, I even think about when the NFL, not their last CBA, but the one before, like Jeff Saturday and Robert Kraft got together and were like, look, right. you know, this is how we're going. Is there a bridge anywhere relationship-wise between anyone in the executive committee and anyone in the league's head negotiating group? Nope. I wish there were. I don't think that we would be missing opening day now if there were. I don't think that there would be, nah, there would probably be a lockout. But point is the, the, the back, the back channel that's gone on and past basic agreement negotiations simply isn't there anymore. You want to talk about a bridge? Uh, somebody, uh, pulled out a couple of bricks and the thing collapsed and yeah. that's where we are at this point. And, um, you know, I, I urge you or anyone who's listening to go on to Amazon and get a book called Lords of the Realm. Um, it's by a guy named John Hellyer and essentially covers the entire labor relations history of major league baseball. And it sounds incredibly boring. I'm telling you, it reads like uh, a novel with all of these amazing, rich, hilarious, interesting characters with these power plays. And uh, the, the story that it tells Ryan is one where Marvin Miller, an economist for the Steelworkers Union, comes in, takes over the union, Major League Baseball Players Association that's just in its nascent stages and turns it into the most powerful union and the most effective union in the United States. And he didn't do that by regarding ownership as partners. He did it by looking at ownership as what they are, which is your bosses. And look, all of us have had bosses with whom we get along and relationships 
can be great there, but it, it compromises what the players association always has stood for. It hasn't stood for money. It stood for freedom. It stood for the ability to go out and choose where you are going to ply your trade, where you're going to take the gift that you were given and that you worked so hard for. And the ability to make that choice is worth a lot. I think that baseball players right now, it's been lost upon them uh, in some regards because the money has gotten so big. And uh, there are questions about whether the Marvin Miller free market economic system even works in baseball anymore. You don't have it in basketball. You don't have it in football. You don't have it in hockey. Baseball is the last bastion of the uncapped professional major men's American sport. And I think the, the MLBPA is holding on, not for dear life, but holding on with, with a, you know, Kung Fu grip at this point, because they feel like uh, that freedom is only left as long as they have no salary cap. And it's why the CBT has been so frustrating to them because of the way that it has evolved into a cap. Yeah. The CBT is basically definitely evolved into a cap, but Brian is right with the, with the relationship. Like there's, we're, this league is the only league I feel like where it's that disconnect between the league office and the players. Like you see, the NBA is ran by the players because they're you know they they have communication with Adam Silver. I mean, football mm-hmm. is a different story. It is what it is in, in the NFL. But I just I would love to see our league ran how the NBA is ran because the guys because guys in the MLB have great you know ideas and opinions of how the game should be, and we do know where the game should go and in the direction it should go in. So I would love to see the relations get better between the league office and the players. And like you said, there was no way we'd be missing opening day if we had better communication. Yeah. The frustrating part is that the money has gotten in the way of talking about the game. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, and I asked, I asked a few people this um, on the player side and the response has been essentially Um, let's take care of the financial part because that's the toughest part first. And then we can go about fixing the game because if we fix the game and the money's not fixed, we're not going to be happy campers out there. But if we got the money fixed, then we can put all of our efforts toward the game. And ultimately that's going to be best, uh, for everybody involved. Mm. Okay. So, so Jeff, that's uh, what you're saying there is like, we may still see when this thing, you know, uh, hopefully at some point does get worked out. We may see some of these like ways to enhance the entertainment value of the game through rule changes addressed. That's just not issue number one on the table for these uh, current negotiations. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the league did bring it up toward the, the, I think it was the sixth or seventh day of bargaining down in Florida um, talking about banning the shift or at least, uh, you know, having two infielders on each side of the second base bag, talking about a pitch clock, uh, which I am 100% in favor of. And I know that prominent members of the MLBPA uh, are decidedly against. I mean, mm-hmm. I like I look at the pitch clock and see uh, you're a pitcher. So I assume you despise it. Um, no, but, I want the pitch clock. Do you? All right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's, want a, it, I want guys to be working like Mark Burley, bro. Don't nobody uh, want to be out there for three or four or five fucking hours. Like, especially in the middle of the summer in the Bronx, guys. Get that shit and throw it. Let's go. the fuck y'all doing out here? <laughs> Hell no. We need a pitch clock ASAP, bro. We need a pitch clock ASAP. I think a pitch clock would take the average major league game down well under three hours. And I understand a two-hour and 45-minute game is still 
an awfully long game, right? It's not like, though. I mean, especially yeah. if you got some action. You know what I'm saying? 162 of those, 245 <laughs> still long. CC, if I tell you I want to go to a movie with you this weekend, and I tell you the movie is two hours and 45 minutes, you're going to say, hell no. If, the, if it's a Star Wars movie, I'm there. If yeah. it's four hours. You know, if it's <laughs> Harry Potter, I'm there. So if the entertainment value is there, I'll sit there. You know what I'm oh, saying? That, is, that, uh, is that your standard, by the way? Did we just establish oh, Both of our standards. Both of ours. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Potter yes. and Star Wars. Yeah, yes. I'll sit there all day. I sat through the eight, I sat through the eight hour uh, the eight hour wow. Broadway show for Harry Potter. Eight yeah. hours I sat through it and I loved it. You're the fucking nerds. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. That's Definitely us. Jeff. Nerds. That's us. That's us. So I guess, you know, Jeff, I guess like because my biggest point with that is like when even if just philosophically, even if you have a smaller percentage of a pie, right? If the pie is growing and it's a bigger pie, it's better than having a bigger percentage of a smaller pie, right? So my general perspective from both sides should be an honest evaluation of, you know, holy shit, our sport is in peril. Like we need to take this opportunity to address those things. Now, I understand what you're saying. Like they're kind of looking at it as like, well, maybe we can, but first we need to address the financial component. So just for our audience, we're kind of, I'm going to take you back to the beginning a little bit if you can. For our audience who's wondering, like, just obviously CBA things can be so granular and hard to digest, oh, yeah. but but just for our audience, for the the like the sticking points right now, like why we don't have baseball games right now with what has been negotiated, what would be sort of your general synopsis for them? First, Ryan, I want to blow your mind. What if they could have a bigger part of a bigger pie? Sure. Any, but yeah. I'm saying I'm not talking about from player or owner's perspective. I'm just talking but about. No, no, it's interesting yeah. though, because I, I don't know if this is, uh, I'm sure it's not intentional, but the points that you are making are the points that the owners make. Yeah. And, 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 and that's, listen, that's fine. I understand. Like we, I think for the longest time we're around this, all, all three of us are around the same age. We like, I think we've been indoctrinated through media coverage to look at the perspective of the owner. And I think that that's, uh, I, I'm not going to say it's wrong. I just think it's really biased the way that uh, the media up until this point has been almost all pro owner. I'm, yeah. you, know, you know what I'm pro? I'm pro fairness. Yeah. I'm pro the people who play the game getting fairly compensated. And I am not sitting here and, and, you know, raining on the parades of businessmen saying you're not allowed to go out and try and make a profit, you know, make money, like do your thing, just make sure your workers are compensated fairly. And I know it's different in baseball, right? It's different in all pro sports. You know, the definition of worker, it's not somebody who's in a mill. It's not somebody who's in a coal mine. It's not somebody who's your typical union worker. These are highly specialized, incredibly skilled, positively unique men going out and doing the most difficult thing in front of tens of thousands of people every night with all of the pressure in the world on them, right? That That's, that's how I look at the entire labor uh, dynamic. And when a dollar goes in, it either goes to the player or to the club. And so if people sit here and say players are overpaid, they should make less, then the natural response to that is, so owners should make more? 
Like, is that, is is that, is that, is that what we're talking about here? Because we're talking about a system in major league baseball where you have guaranteed revenue streams coming in on a national level from television contracts on a local level from television contracts, you have sponsorships. I mean, there's a lot of guaranteed revenue coming in on top of that. You've got incredible tax benefits and that's just a reality. You can depreciate and amortize uh, a number of things, including player salaries. Like CC, did you know your salary used to be written off on the Yankees taxes? Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you've got all these benefits of, of being an owner and listen, it's hard to get into that club. You got to have a billion dollars. You got to have $2 billion. You have to have made your money or inherited it, but you have to have done generally something really incredible in the business world. So I'm not trying to take that away from you. What I'm trying to do is to prop up the athletes and to Mm -hmm. make sure that they're the ones because they are going out there and they're the ones who are entertaining us that they get the shine that they deserve. And more than that, that they get the fair share that they want. Well, so Jeff, I guess, go ahead, see. No, no, no. I was going to say, I I agree with you a thousand percent. I just wish it wasn't on the heels of us as players being so upset about the last CBA. You know what I'm saying? I I wish that would have been the stance 10 years ago and not today. It is what it is. So, so I go, I go back to that book. Uh, I go back to Lords of the realm. And in the 1960s, do you know how players used to get paid? Do you know how their salaries used to be determined? They would walk into the GM's office and the GM would say, this is what you're going to get this year. And the response would be, okay, sir. Yeah. And, and sometimes the GM would ask, well, what do you think you're worth? And he would say, you know, I think I'm worth this much. And they would say, well, we just gave this other pitcher who happened to be better than the pitcher who was having the conversation this much. And he said, okay, well, I'll take $2,000 less than that. I'll take 8,000 instead of the 10,000. And it turns out GMs would lie. And the guy who he actually talked about saying was making 10,000 was making 20,000. There was all sorts of nefarious little things going on here. And those nefarious things ended up angering players because they felt like they had been mistreated and screwed up and had not just been uh, done wrong, but had done wrong themselves. They raged back, banded together, and won the greatest gains that uh, sports has seen in terms of collective bargaining. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You only, you know, sometimes, sometimes the change you make has to be uncomfortable, has to have casualties along the way. And I'm not sitting here saying that What's going on right now with the lockout is a good thing. As a fan, I hate it. And if it's going on for the wrong reasons and does not affect change, then it will not have been worth it. But if the Players Association believes it can make substantive and substantial gains by this happening, then I understand the moral position that it's taking in rejecting the offer that the league brought to them. I mean, uh, I'll tell you this, CC. if you were sitting in that room and you had just gone with competitive balance tax starting at 238 million, going up to uh, I think 244, then 250 in the first three years, and the league came back to you with an offer for 220, 220, 220, you probably would have had the same reaction Max Scherzer did. Of course, of course. Mm. But Jeff, I so guess it, so. Answer Ryan, answering yeah. your actual question. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the competitive balance tax was instituted in 2003 uh, for the Yankees. 
Uh, teams were worried that the Yankees payroll was simply too high compared to the rest of the payrolls in major league baseball. So it was there to handle runaway spending. Mm. Uh, over time, it evolved into something else. The taxes got higher. There were draft pick penalties attached to it. Uh, the thresholds didn't move up similar to the industry revenues. And you wound up with a number last year of 210 that two teams exceeded, the Dodgers and the Padres, and five teams were within $3.5 million. Now, was that an accident or is that a de facto salary cap? Right. No, well, 100%. So, and Jeff, so that's one aspect of it. And then on the other aspect, it's, and and this is where I, I've had this conversation with Cameron Maben on R2C2 last week, and I couldn't agree more. You know, it is a massive problem how many franchises you have that are just flat out non-competitive yes. inten intentionally and not having some sort of salary floor, even if you do it over like a three or four year tranche is it's ridiculous. And, and we see what it does to the players. And so that a player like, you know, Cameron brought up himself as an example. He comes off 2019 with the Yankees where he plays unbelievable over an 80 game stretch where, you know, all the analytics guys are saying he should make X and all he gets is 29 minor league offers, you know? And it's because those teams that might've been able to say, Hey, I'm going to give you two years, 10 million. Cause I want to, you know, I want to win games like, and, and you're better than my young guy, like, are like, no, I, I don't, you're, you're probably better than my young guy right now, but I'd rather save the $5 million. And, yeah. you know, and so from the player's perspective, like that's a, and, and from a fan perspective, yeah. that's a massive problem that needs to be fixed. And so I, 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 I don't, guess, I don't think Ryan, I don't think that's going to be fixed. I, yeah. I mean, I hate, I hate to say it. I don't think it's going to be fixed because I think that has less to do with the spending and more to do with analytics. How old was Cam mm. when that happened? Yeah, he well, like 33 uh, or something like that. He was probably that. 30. Yeah, he's probably 32, 33. All you yeah. had to do was say the word 30. Yeah. yeah. 30. yeah. That's, the, that's the magic and, number and, now. And that's But that's another reason why you got to get players paid younger. You know, yeah. and I understand that. I understand that pool because, you know, as a young player, you know, when I, in early 2000s, it would have been nice to be compensated for the for you know some of the numbers that I was putting up or some of these young guys that I don't that come want to. You now. lived in Cleveland. Your rent costs eleven dollars a month. It don't, it don't matter. Hey, it don't matter how much my rent costs. I need to be paid for what the fuck I'm doing out on the field. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it, it's so interesting, Jeff, because this, like, I mean, there are real, you know, obviously fundamental problems there, and. um, I guess, like, from your perspective now, because people want to know, obviously, well, like, when could we realistically see baseball games? I mean, I know it's impossible for you to predict that, but as you, like, what's the what's the next step and what we'll see with the negotiations between these two sides? And, and what do you think, um, you know, what do you think is possible, like, as far as when we might actually get an agreement? Ryan, you know what the truth is? These sides really aren't that far apart. Well, that's good. It is good. And it's good. I, I think the most important thing here is that everybody needs to start listening to the other side. I think Major League Baseball finally is starting to recognize that when the players say we're unified, they're actually unified. They turned down a deal that could have gotten them back on the field, that could have gotten paychecks in their pockets within a month, um, that could have gotten the season started and guaranteed them 162 games pay. They turned it down. And I think that said something. I, I think they also they also want the league to look at them. Not, not as they feel like the league looks at them like they're rubes and, and like, they're not smart. And like, uh, you know, you're, 
Mm. You're just the workers. And whether that's fair or not, the, the feelings of the players are entrenched at this point. Yeah. At the same time, I think, I think the, the players need to do a better job of listening when Rob Manford is talking about particular things that bother him. He was talking mm. about salary disparity, uh, payroll disparity, like uh, payroll disparity. Uh, if you run a regression on it, like my nerdy ass did, actually does not have any correlation with wins, right? Like how much you spend per year? No, no. Uh, I mean, not even like a, a mild or medium, no, like next to zero correlation with wins, meaning, wow. pay, meaning payroll, you know, it doesn't guarantee anything. It's why the Tampa Bay Rays were the best team in the American league last year. And, uh, you know, they, their payroll, I think was the lowest in the entire league. If not the lowest, and it was certainly among the bottom two or three. Um, but if payroll disparity is an issue for major league baseball, then come up with a way to figure out how to supplement the lower, uh, payroll teams, those low revenue teams, figure out whether it's a commissioner, uh, commissioner's discretionary fund, or whether it's giving them extra draft picks for uh, making the playoffs or finishing 500 incentivize competition mm. while rewarding them as well. Um, it, you know, he was, uh, Rob Manfred was talking about revenue and I, you know, when he said in 2018 and 2019, uh, revenue, you know, he said the last five years revenues haven't been great and, uh, you know, COVID was bad, but revenues were up in 18 to 19. But if he's bringing up revenue, it's clear that he's doing so because he's hearing that from the owners. If the players association goes and says, okay, I recognize that revenue is a big deal to you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have the first year CBT threshold at only 220. We're going to keep it down for you to give you something. But, and you know what, if you want a couple of years to get back from COVID revenues, let's do the next one at 225 or 227. But after that, it needs to be 237, 247, and 257. Because if this game is going to grow the way that you expect it to and you want us invested in it, we now have reason to help the game grow. If the ceiling's going to be as high as 257, we want to give clubs a reason to go out and spend that money to be competitive. It's solutions like that, guys, that I think are workable at the table and is just going to take these sides recognizing that for that acrimony you were talking about earlier, Ryan. There is a benefit to getting along, or if not getting along, at least getting a deal. I mean, we we can see that the that you know the, the team's tanking is a huge problem. You know, my yeah. Jeet just left the Marlins because they didn't want to. You know, they didn't want to spend no money to try to get better. So you know, he's you know coming from a player's perspective and and trying to win and and understanding what it takes to win. So yeah, I mean that's a that's a huge problem in the game when you have an owner of his stature or a CEO of his stature stepping down because the organization doesn't want to spend the money to win. Andrew Miller said it yesterday. He said competition is the most important part of this basic agreement for us. And I, I mean, if we're being honest, like money's the most important part of yeah. the basic agreement for the players, but uh, the two things are not mutually exclusive. You can right. do things to get your money and you can do things to increase competition at the same time. And, and there will be and, more and, and money yeah. if there's more competition. Like, you know, yeah. if you, if everybody's trying to win, there's more money yeah. available I get, for the listen, players. I give, I give credit to the league for accepting the draft lottery. I don't know if the lottery is going to be enough disincentive for, for teams not to out and out tank. Uh, but it is six picks. So, 
uh, you know, if you don't get that, if you have the worst record in the league, you may be, I mean, the math says probably not, but you may be picking as low as seventh. Jeff, what I love what you did there though, you gave us some hope, right? About <laughs> first, oh, yeah. first of all, you gave us a path to a deal, which is great. Um, and uh, maybe we're going to put you in the room. Um, I think your perspective on uh, on everything that the players are fighting for. Hell no. I think it makes a lot of sense, man. I think it makes a lot of sense. And and um, and uh, I do think that hopefully Major League Baseball does take them seriously, seeing how unified they clearly are. And yep. hopefully this gap, which doesn't seem as large the way you just articulated it, hopefully it closes quicker than we thought. I leave with a little more hope than I came in. And, and you took us to a different place in the conversation than I was expecting. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I listen, I've been trying to be hopeful over the, the last day because number one, like the alternative stinks. But mm-hmm. number two, um, because if something doesn't get soon, that's when it's going to get kind of gnarly. I mean, yeah. players are saying, players are saying right now, trust us when we say we want to get paid 162, no matter how many games we play, we want to get paid 162, no matter how many games we play. And if they're missing 15, 20 games, I'm sorry, but there is no way they're getting paid for 162. And that's where this thing gets nasty in a hurry. That's where the players take away the possibility of expanded playoffs. And that's where a season could go down in flames. So I'm hoping that the pragmatists in the room will end up winning the day and that we're going to get baseball back on the field sooner than later. I think it ha- the deal has to be done by, by next week, though. But, uh, for, I, think for them, I think you're right. For, us to, right. For, for them to be able to get, you know, to play in April and, and get that, you know, 162 to pay that they want to get paid for. Well, we're going to be hoping for that. Now I'm going to feel like that's possible. Thanks to you, Jeff. Uh, in addition to being great at what you do, you're, you're so intelligent. And, uh, you know, the, the way you articulate these difficult issues, I think, for our audience um, is a blessing. So thank you for, uh, for spending the time that you did with us, man. It's a, you're an invaluable uh, addition to this kind of conversation. And hopefully next time we have you on, we're talking about See, Jeff was right. He knew it was about to get done. And we, <laughs> and, and we only missed two series of the regular season. Hey, I'm just glad I keep fooling you guys. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. We appreciate it, man. Appreciate it, Jeff. Well, massive thanks to Jeff Passon. That was such outstanding perspective and you know, I think um, hopefully he gave us uh, or he gave all of you some detail that helps you feel, you know, just more uh, lucid w- with um, what's going on when it comes to uh, baseball's labor agreement. And, you know, I think for as as dreary as some of the early parts of the conversation were, he gave us with a lot of hope there. And, you know, it kind of also brings back the perspective C and I were having in the beginning of like, this doesn't feel like a big gap worth missing games over. It'd be one thing if you were trying to restructure the whole sport, but if you're not doing that, even though you probably should, this feels like a gap that should be closed because this doesn't feel like massive issues. And Jeff kind of indicated the gap isn't as big as he thinks and, um, and that he wouldn't be surprised if we're on the field sooner than later. Uh, so you know what? 
I'm going to go in with some hope. Maybe next week's the week it gets done. Hopefully these sides negotiate in the next couple days. We're recording this Wednesday afternoon. You guys know new episodes every Thursday, bonus episodes as well. If anything breaks in the meantime, before next Thursday, we'll obviously hop on and chat about it. Uh, and we'll stay on top of all this stuff for you guys, of course. Want to remind you to subscribe to our new YouTube page. Starting to get some momentum there. Uh, it's just YouTube, R2C2, free to subscribe. You can watch back our old episodes there and judge. Joe Buck lately, Cameron Mabin last week. Um, and, uh, you know, follow us on Spotify. New episodes every Thursday. Um, and uh, we will see what happens here. But I feel a little more hopeful after this. Thanks to uh, Mike Waragon, who uh, stepped in for us today. Uh, our producers, uh, Bobby Wagner, Sadie Zillow, always doing an outstanding job. Uh, we appreciate the amazing staff we have here at The Ringer. We'll see you next week, everybody. Keep your fingers crossed. Peace, everybody. Peace, everybody.